This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Hey everyone, it's the final countdown with around three weeks left to go for Dune Part 2. With tickets going on sale, there's been a wave of TV spots coming out. On today's show, we're going to explore some intriguing new footage. This is Marcus, your friendly editor at DuneNewsNet.com. And I'm here with a crowd of fellow Dune fanatics. Hey, it's Karen. Really excited to be on with the group today. Um, I mentioned that it's kind of the uh, final hours as we're getting all these great uh, uh, TV spots and promotionals for Dune Part 2. And so it's an exciting time. I'm excited to hear what everyone has to say. All right, Mark from Dune Info here. Great to be back with uh, a full house this time. Uh, as Garen said, a load of new TV spots and footage and interviews. Um, so excited to dive in and discuss June with uh, the panel. Hi everyone, it's Rachel. I'm so happy to be back and talk about Dune. I just saw some of these clips today, so can't wait to discuss. Hey, Simon here. Like everyone's saying, a lot of clips, and I bet you there'll be even more clips by the time this episode gets published. So let's get started. Dune Movie News. Before diving into our main topic for today, an important reminder, Dune Part 1 is back in theaters this week. And uh, as we covered in our recent shows, this includes an amazing 10-minute sneak peek at Dune Part 2, including one full scene from the movie. In the US, there was initially that one-night-only event uh, on January 24th, and that was only at select locations. But following the huge demand for that, uh, sold out in many locations within a few hours, uh, this has been extended. And the Dune reissue will be available for around a week, uh, starting Friday, February 9th. There will also be re-releases internationally, starting from February 7th uh, up to February 9th. Uh, check out the article on dunewsnet.com for more details and a list of uh, questions. Uh, Garen and Rachel, are you planning to catch one of these showings? Yeah. Rachel, I don't know about you, but I absolutely am. I, I need to see Dune for the 29th time. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I'm such a fan of the IMAX experience and the sound. I'm totally into the sound that I'm absolutely going to go see it. And I have to see the, 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 the introduction and the additional footage for part two. Absolutely. I only got to see it on IMAX five times, so I definitely need to go back. Um, and I'm definitely uh, looking forward to that extra scene. We got a good one in the first time, so. I expect that this, I actually don't know what scene it is. Have they announced it? Did people say what it was? So the, 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 one, the one that we saw, and we, we covered this on one of the previous episodes, is the, the full sandworm ride scene, oh, the full ride okay. sandworm. So it's, it's, a, it's a really great scene to see in, in IMAX. <laughs> great. Yeah, I didn't get to do the fan event, so I'm going to definitely check it out. Nice. You know, Mark, I've, I follow you. I was like, Mark probably got to see that scene early, but for once... We get something earlier. I've got to wait till Friday to see it. That's when it, it comes out on the ninth over here in the UK. And Mark, have, have you heard of it? If it's one night only, or if, if it's uh, going to be for uh, for a longer time? Um, it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday in the UK, I believe. Nice. Uh, so let's dive into all of those uh, juicy dude part two reveals from this past week. Ever since their castings were announced, there's been a lot of excitement for the characters of Fade Rafa, played by Austin Butler, and Princess Irlan, played by Florence Pugh. Although they're making their first appearance in the second movie, uh, these are pivotal characters. Both are set to inherit great power in the Pyrim, 
uh, Irlan as the eldest daughter of Emperor Shaddam Karina IV, and Fade being the heir apparent of Baron Harkonnen. They're the future of the great houses. Villeneuve has kept a lot of mystery by keeping these characters um, back for Dune Part 2, uh, but these latest uh, TV spots offer a lot of insights into what we can expect. Let's start off with Fade. Looks like uh, Austin Butler went through an uh, impressive transformation <laughs> to become this evil beast, as uh, Zendaya described him. This isn't that kind, uh, soft-spoken person we see in interviews or even Elvis. This is something that looks or sounds completely different. Uh, Simon, now that we've seen a lot more footage and have heard his voice for the first time, what's your impression of Austin Butler's version of Fade? Well, if you remember when he first got cast, I was like, Austin who? And I would call him Austin Butler, like a butler or butter, because I didn't know his name. But after watching Elvis, I was like, okay, now that we see clips of him, I'm like, he is the, the psychopath Mick Jagger that Denis is saying. Uh, the only thing that I have a little problem with is the voice. I still kind of hear his normal voice and a little bit of Elvis. That could just be me. Because I, as soon as I saw Elvis, I went down the rabbit hole and started watching black hours of interviews. And then when he got cast, I was like, I'm going to watch even more hours of interviews. Uh, what's interesting, I forgot what talk show he was on. It could have been maybe the the Jimmy Kimball show, but he didn't shave his head. That's a ball cap. I thought he went full on, like, shaved his head and all that. And the scenes that we see with him are very much, you know, the fight between him and Paul. Spoiler, but if you've seen any of the TV spots by now, you know that's happening. Or any of the promotional material. And that scene, like, oh my God, how fast they are. And that could... And it could be just the way they're editing it for TV. But still, give me Faye. Give me a lot of Faye. Not just the arena. Like, I want to see interactions with him and the Baron. I want to see interactions just overall. I know that's Garen's boy, Faye Rafa. So I'm curious to know what uh, Garen thinks of him. So <clears throat> I'm becoming a real Austin Butler fan. I, I've seen, I loved him in Elvis. I've said that a number of times. I'm also really enjoying him uh, in his role in Masters of the Air, um, World War II uh, Air Force uh, series going on right now. And so I'm really impressed with him. I, I really feel like the energy around him uh, is really good. I, I feel like he's diverse in his depictions of these characters. I always envisioned uh, Fade as even more psychotic, even than Sting depicted him in, in, in the Lynch's Dune. So, so I'm I'm hoping I'm not going to have uh, sort of a gap between this just insane psychopath that I had in my mind reading the book and and what how Austin Butler is going to depict him. But so far, the visuals are 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 pretty are pretty frightening, and and that's the kind of feeling I think. Denise trying to go for here. I mean, just even the, the clips that we've seen and, and we're going to talk about today is he's just brutal. He's just, he's just, uh, he doesn't have any sense of, of caring for anything other than brutality and power. And no wonder the Baron, he, he's his heir apparent, right? He's, he's cut from the same cloth as the Baron, but, um, it'll be interesting to me to see what degree uh, like, like you were saying, Simon, what degree does, does Austin Butler have that character go to not just in the physical actions and the fighting, but 
but in, in his other interactions, uh, with, uh, Lady Fenring and some other characters, it'll be really interesting to see. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Just touching on Simon's point about the bald cap, um, in a French magazine, they asked him about that and he said he did want to shave his head completely because he was doing the bike riders after June part two, uh, which is a much smaller film. Uh, the director of that begged him not to shave his head, saying that June Part Two can afford a board cap; they can't afford a wig. <laughs> um, but it does look very good. I, I imagine they've done some CGI shrinkage on his head, like they did with Piter in Part One. Uh, but looking at the footage, it doesn't look like a board cap. I, as as Garen said, I'm excited to to see his interactions with Lady Fenring as well, because we've seen his sort of uh, animal ferocity but we've not seen any animal magnetism yet. So how is he just going to be a, you know, a, a psycho with Fenring or are we going to see some sort of um, relationship between them? Yeah, I remember Austin Butler from the, the fantasy series he did. It's sort of Shannara, I think, where he had like the abs and the long hair. So when he was cast, that was my only reference uh, at the time. And I think it's funny that that's what he looked like then, but we're talking about a really different interpretation of Fade than what we've seen before, I think, in live action. Because I feel like before, there's always been a little bit of a lean into that, like, the lovely Fade kind of idea where he was compelling and maybe, um, like, what Paul could have been if he had grown up in another house, right? So this this monster Fade, this cruel Fade, um, I, I think I, I love it. I, and I love that the makeup goes with it. Like he's got the black teeth, no eyebrows. Um, he's really just off-putting. Uh, and I, I think that's really exciting because it's not the like sensual fade that, you know, we've seen a lot of art, you know, artistic interpretation of him as being like very highly charismatic. Yeah, sometimes there's criticism in films that, you know, some of the characters are very similar. You know, they've all got black, long hair or something. I don't think there's any uh, problem of or chance of anyone confusing Paul and Fade in this movie. You put, pit them against each other uh, visually. Um, even their way that they are delivering their lines is different, you know? Like, Timothy has that, like, deep, strong kind of delivery style, and it seems like Austin has gone for a more, like, a softer scarier kind of delivery apparently he's he said in a recent interview that he's uh, copied the voice of stellan skarsgård for the baron oh, so he's assu- he's, he said that you know he's assumed that he's grown up with the baron so he's going to be speak like his fa- uh, his uncle you know i like the different voices like you were saying about timothy and how austin's portrayed his voice and that soft like as we saw in the jimmy kimball line First of all, I was surprised that he said, may my knife shatter, but just it's, it's kind of creepy, but yet kind of soft. So it's kind of like the balance between his personality and like what you expect. Cause they could have easily have him like, be like, may my knife shatter, like this tonal crazy voice, but it's kind of like, no, it's, it's a good balance. I'm interested in seeing it. And, um, I know we haven't talked about this in a while, but I feel like they're really hiding Lady Fendering now in any of the spots. Like yeah. we saw her in the in a couple of trailers, and I was like, "Nope, that's it." And now it's like, 
You don't even see her or anything. I'm so and hungry for Margot content. I need it. I need Margot so badly. Please. I, I don't get Fenring. You know, I don't get Count Fenring. So give me Lady Fenring. I need it. Yeah. Seriously, like, we'll talk more about this probably in, like, when we talk more about TV stuff. I mean, movie stuff than TV stuff. But I don't think we're getting the Count at all. No. It I don't doesn't look like it. <laughs> Not in any sort of significant role. I mean, there was rumors that um, uh, that there was going to be a cameo from, um, and I've forgotten his name now, guy from um, Oh Brother, Where Out Now? No, Tim, Tim Blake Nelson. Thank you, yes. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, he, we know he's in it. We know he's got a cameo. Is he just going to be Guild Stearman number two on the left or something, or is he going to be in Thundering, uh, the Cap Thundering? And speaking of uh, Austin's voice, I, I mean, I picked up on that immediately that he was you know, he sounded similar to, to the Baron. And, and I think that that's, that's good that they went in, in that, that direction. And that was, apparently that was uh, Austin's idea as, as mentioned, because it, it does make sense for, for families to have the, the same, yeah. same type of voice. They've interacted with each other, uh, uh, really grew up together. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that was like in, interesting to line the difference from the book, like uh, for, for him repeating Paul, like made an act, Shiv and Shatter. W wonder what, what they're going for there. Like we don't have the full context. Like, like potentially he's he's trying to mock Paul. Yeah, in, that's in way, how like, I interpreted it. Yeah, yeah, that's the way I looked at it too. Like, okay, kid, that's <laughs> what you're gonna be like. Oh, look at me, I'm all from it yeah. now. It's like, like your quaint local custom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think we've heard the part where he's like, "Look at your pet," or "Is that your pet?" I feel like we've got that in one of the spots. Yeah, so many TV spots to talk about. I do need yes. some help though with Fade's dental work. I need someone to explain what is that all about with the black teeth? Is there a theory on that? So in one of the other clips, you can see um, he's, I think they're called harpies, Fade's harpies. They're painting in black uh, when he's preparing for the fight or after the fight. So I don't know if, if they're painting his teeth. I don't know if his teeth are always black. Might just be for the arena scene. Yeah, it does look like there's there's a lot of symbolism in the arena scene. He's being painted like one of his knives is white, the other one is is, is black, as as described in in the book. So it feels like they're going for that black and white uh, motif. And it's hmm. been confirmed now as well that um, the Gady Prime black and white is the light of the star, um, and they the filmed it on with infrared cameras apparently. Um, and they said, you know, if we do this, there's no going back. And one brothers signed off on that. Um, Oh, I wrote that yeah. down because I had posited when I was watching it, like, oh, it must be the sun or sons. I don't remember how many sons Katie Prime has uh, making the light that way, um, which I don't know. I think it expands the universe in a way. You know, it's it's artistic, right? And it gives us a really great framework to consume this horrible gladiator scene. Um, but it also, you know, literally gives us lore about how the light works on different planets. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. So it's nice to see that they actually like, committed and there was, there was no other way. They could never change their mind. Uh, shots of colorizing it all again. Uh, right, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, I love they shot it that way. And they're like, nope, we didn't want to fix it in post. This is the way it's going to be. And that's where it is. And, and speaking of the the fighting scenes, of course, uh, Fate is going to be in, in at least two two major fighting scenes in the arena and then the fight with Paul. In the arena, we actually see that um, it's not only Lieutenant Landfall that, that Fate is fighting, but he also like 
kills another gladiator um, first. We, we, we see that in, in, in one of the, the shots. Mark, what, what do you think of that detail? Yeah, we, we saw a corpse lying on the left-hand side of the frame on one of the earlier shots, earlier trailers. So I, I posited that it might be the warm-up act for Lanville. And so, yeah, it certainly looks like that Fade is uh, killing more than a few people in this movie. Well, Mark, I thought about you because I, I don't remember if it was on the air or off the air. We were talking about someone cast as big uh, security or big warrior yeah, or something. Huge, he's a huge fighter, and that's one of the Fremen. Uh, and there's also like a huge fighter that's the Harkonnen. Uh, Fade kills in the Harkonnen arena. Yeah. And this guy looks a lot bigger than um, mm -hmm. anyone else. So the arena scene is, I feel like, going to be intense. And it's really going to bring people in that are just like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to go watch this casually. And then they're going to see, hopefully, Faye being the psychopath that he is. And they're going to be like, oh, I need to tell my friends about this. This is, this is, already, this is already insane. Yeah, for, considering it's a sci-fi movie, this is more sort of a Ridley Scott's gladiator by the look of it. <laughs> um, trying to like hype up that part of Fade where he's a fighter, he's a monster, he's 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 not a sneaky, like kind of cheating, you know, Baron Junior. It's like he's the monster under the bed. Like when in the last you know film, when Gurney says, "You don't know these people. I've seen them." It seems like, oh, maybe he was talking about fate. Maybe it wasn't you know Raban this whole time. Yeah, and then Simon, you you were mentioning that uh, final fight with with uh, with Paul. That's like really really fast uh, fast pace. I mean, like how how do you feel seeing like we we already seen seen quite a lot of that. I was, I was uh, surprised by some of the clips. Uh, how do you feel that that's going to compare to some of the earlier portrayals we've seen of that knife fight? I feel like, so since I saw the first movie again recently in IMAX, like the Gurney fight, training fight scene with him, also the fight with Jameis, I feel like all that is setting it up for it. And I honestly think what we've seen on TV, and especially like the clip on Kimball, I feel like it was edited for TV, but I feel like that fight scene is going to be short but sweet, if that makes sense. I feel like we're, it's going to be insane and we're all going to want to see it and like freeze frame it and being like, so he grabbed the knife at this point and they're like fighting with each other. I'm, it's one of the scenes I'm most excited about. I know we keep seeing it in preview shots and all that, but I'm like, just give me the full fight. Like I want to see them go at it. And I, I really hope Faye does the whole sting part where he's like, I will kill him. <laughs> like, I want to see that. I want to see the tension and not just being like, okay, well, you know, Paul's going to win. But I want to be in the theater and being like, is Paul going to make it out of, of this fight? Because it is a fight to the death. So, and I went back and watched the miniseries fight. And that's just comical. That's just horrible and, and comical, but still fun. And for me, that fight is always going to be Sting versus Kyle McLaughlin, but I want to see, I want to see an upgraded fight. I want, I want to see it. And the size <laughs> also between Austin being like this tall and Tim Tim being like this little, being little Tim Tim. He's huge, but he's <laughs> fast. So he's like extra scary. Yeah. He's like a little mouse. Some would even say. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> yeah. What what does everyone else think of about the fight? Uh, I did like that clip uh, where Paul sort of spins over the fades back, and someone pointed out that that's uh, the same move that he does in the in June Part One uh, in the Vision when he's fighting all the Sardaukar. Um, so that it's nice that they're sort of bringing that move from Part One into Part Two. That's why I'm thinking like what we see on TV is just a little clip of it, and I remember when I that scene got released and with the flip, I forgot who it was on Twitter was like, oh my God, he did it. Like <laughs> thing. <laughs> and then they put those images side by side. I'll be curious to see if this uh, final fight between Fade and Paul has all of the pent up energy and suspense that, that Denis will have built to this point in the film. If, if it's to a degree that's just so overwhelming that I mean, we know the outcome because we're fans, but just like he did with me in part one, even though I knew the outcome of, the, of all the parts of that, I still had anxiety. I still was fearful that the worm was going to eat Gurney and Paul. Of course, I knew that wasn't going to happen, but I was in it, you know? And so I hope that this, this final uh, fight between these two culminates with all of the buildup. And I, I like what you said, Rachel, about how is fade. I mean, he's big and he's fast and he's formidable. And is that, is that going to come across? Am I going to truly be scared spitless that this Paul character that I've invested, you know, these hours into could just get wiped out in this moment right here. Like I, I, I hope, I mean, I, I trust that Denis will do this right, but to what degree will I feel the suspense and the anxiety in this fight? I'm really, I'm really curious about that. I'm wondering how they're going to build the tension between Paul and Fade, because even though they're houses are rivals, they have never met before. And, you know, technically Fade wasn't even part of uh, Leto's assassination. So the conflict between Paul and Fade is just between great houses and it isn't personal. I'm just wondering if they're going to try and bring conflict to, to a bit more personal level between them. Yeah, for me, that fight is so symbolic because... You know, Fade and Paul were part of the breeding, you know, schedule, right? Like Paul and Fade were supposed to get paired off. That was the plan. So essentially, they are both like that deck towards the Kwisatz Haderach. So there's no reason why Fade shouldn't be able to defeat Paul in this moment, other than the fact that we know, you know, Paul's the Kwisatz Haderach. But it, the, the chances are the same at this point, right? And and I, I just love that there's so much other stuff going on, right? We've got, you know, the Emperor, the Baron, uh, you know, the rest of the Harkonnens. Like, and yet Fade is being really marketed right now to us as like the big bad. And I'm wondering how that's going to pay off for us as viewers, because you're right. There's got to be a lot of tension. There's got to be a lot of buildup. So is Tani tricking us? Is is he really going to like throw the apparatus on a, on a curveball? Is Irulan going to be a little bit more scary? Um, because I, you know, I'm always like, oh, I'm being marketed. I'm being told that, you know, fate's the big bad. So like, what what's the real story that's being told? Because yeah. that end throne room scene is there's a lot of moving parts because we're going to have Sophia Howard and we know he's in it because uh, we've seen uh, footage of him in the 4DX trailer. He's right at the very edge, but he is in there. So are we going to have um, 
Sufi is sacrificing there. Uh, are we going to have Paul calling out the Spacing Guild uh, and their role uh, in you know choosing a side in the battle? Um, so it could be that the face fight is you know quite a small part of that last act. Yeah, like maybe I think short and sweet might actually work really well in that. In that, I mean, I I was freezing that scene. I'm like trying to blow stuff up. Like, who's standing over here? What, where's what, Leah? <laughs> yeah, where's Leah? Where are the you know is the guilt there? Like, where is you know where's uh, Mother Mohiam? Like, where is everyone standing physically so that I can just picture what's going to happen next and how they got here? <laughs> I've come to the conclusion the past couple of days. There's a lot of uh, trailer trickery in that scene it's very much like i forgot which thor movie it was where we saw him um just like a quick shock thor and then when we saw the actual movie he had the eye patch and all that so i feel like it's a lot of trailer trickery especially in the background and for visual effects artists like no offense visual effects artists but i'm sure taking someone out isn't that hard for a couple scenes and put him back in. I'm sure it's like a layer in Photoshop or something. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of people in that scene. And I think but, that that throne. Well, not to interrupt scenes. you, but you can see the Baron on the steps in one of yes, the scenes. So I know. Like, trust why me. Why didn't they remove that? Why didn't they remove that? Yeah. yeah so in the trailer. And the Erewhon making of, like, first of all, it's like, that's a weird shot to show. But you can see the Baron. Like I watched it a couple of times and I even went on Twitter and like highlight it. You can see the Baron, but no Leah. So yeah. she's not like, hey, father. In one of the previous traders or TV spots, you can see Paul approaching the steps and there was a, a black object, but it was blurred. And it's like, is that the Baron? Is that like, yeah, is it that something else? Could have been, you know, there's speculation, but we're, but now we've, you know, they're like messing Baron. with us. They're messing they with us. They are. And that's like a major contact lens. Baron's like got his contact lens. That's all that is. He's, you know, yeah. he's, he's perfectly fine. He left like a turkey, like fell on the floor <laughs> or something. You know, <laughs> but he's grabbing something to eat. But that's like a major spoiler. Like when I saw that, and when you look at that scene even closer, you can see Faye and Aaliyah, and I forgot who it was, like one of the Raptor really mothers. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry? Not Aaliyah. Uh, sorry. I yeah. always have Aaliyah on the brain. It's uh, Erewhon, but it's like, and one of the Reverend Mothers, it's a major, like, if you know, you know scene. And I was like, wow, you guys are just going to be like, okay, we don't care. We're just going to let this go. But I guess the thing is, if you know, you know. And you know, so we can analyze this frame by frame and we go, oh, that's the Baron. But for most people watching it on, you know, an advert in the Super Bowl or something like that, it's, it'll fly by and they won't register. Oh, the Baron. Oh, well, he is obviously going to die on those steps. Yeah, and we, we, we've heard from, um, I think it was one of the extras who had filmed that in that scene, like very minor, minor role. Um, I don't know if it's even listed on IMDb or not, but, but basically uh, she was talking about like how they were filming in, in Budapest for, I think, for, for two months or something like that that scene so there's yeah also going to be a lot of uh, dimension there we're really excited to see it and then um yeah of course uh lots to be excited for 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 fade a uh, lovely fade on the on the big screen uh and we've seen and heard um a lot more from the princess 
in these videos, Irlan comes across as ambitious and politically savvy, and she's confidently advising her father, the emperor. So uh, Rachel, like uh, all of us here know the books well, uh, how do you feel about uh, the portrayal of Irlan in this, this movie and uh, potentially compared to the book? I think it's really exciting that we get to see her, right? She's not just a pawn standing in the background and she's not just, a, you know, a, a couple epigraphs in the book. She's real and she is formidable and she's advising her father. So I really um, enjoy that she's been placed so far forward in the story. And I know that, you know, Denis has said um, that he is really pushing to put a lot of these female characters forward. We know that Jessica's role has been expanded. Um, and we know that, you know, Chani, her viewpoint was really important in part one. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Florence kind of like stretch her, her muscles, her acting muscles uh, in those scenes with uh, Christopher Walken, which is awesome. And uh, also the costuming is just so great. It's so good. You know, I'm, I'm super excited about this too, Rachel. I, I, I thought that there was a chance Denis might elevate, uh, Princess Irulan's role in, in his adaptation. Um, she, she plays such an important part in the book because she's the historian, right? She's the one that introduces us at the beginning of each chapter. And so to make her a character that is actually having a lot of influence on the story and I love the clip that they showed us uh, with the emperor. And um, by the way, I just love how we have this contrasting shot with uh, the emperor and, and Irulan, and it's so quiet and you can hear like birds in the background and, and the emperor like sips his tea and you, you can hear it going down his throat. And it's just this really like quiet, serene moment. But behind all of this is this incredible fascist power right this 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 guy who's evil to the core and i love how irulan is telling him no you don't get it <laughs> you, you you're going to underestimate this prophet if you don't be careful father you know and i just love that i love that she's been uh, at least in this shot and i hope throughout the film elevated into a, a really important character because she is but but to show that and depict that on screen because we're not reading the, 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 the introductions to the chapters by watching the film. That's not the experience. We're watching her in action, speaking to her father, speaking to others. And, and I agree with Rachel. I think the, the costuming is just magnificent. I just, I love the chain mail stuff. And I just think that's so amazing. Well, it's so symbolic of her character too, right? Because so we're, we're looking at, you know, a, a woman who has been placed in a very specific position for a very specific purpose. And like you said, she's been elevated and she has action now. Right. We're very used to having strong women in these in these ki kinds of positions that we've seen before with like Jessica, where they're supportive. Right. They're a supporting role. They're where feelings get put. Um, they validate, you know, the emotions in a scene. But she's giving tactical advice which is incredible, fantastic, love it. Uh, but her costuming echoes that, right? It's all very armory. She is a tactician, uh, so we can't underestimate her. And that's really exciting for me. The original June, she basically appears at the end, apart from the epigraphs, she appears at the end and yeah. the last few pages. And uh, Rachel, we discussed on the Princess of June ep uh, episode how 
in in that book, she is underappreciated and undervalued by her father. Uh, but it looks like in this adaptation, the emperor is uh, putting a lot of faith and trust in the advice and wisdom of his daughter. So either he's training her up and he's using her as a, perhaps as a a replacement for Count Fenring as a a, a sounding board, perhaps for uh, advice and tactics. Yeah, certainly she was the only one in that room with him, right? That was the... Well, there was the Reverend Mother. Oh, was she in the back? I didn't know. Yeah, it's it's almost like Shadow. Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure if it's actually Charlotte Rampling standing there or if it's a standing or if if it's meant to be the Reverend uh, Mother Truesayer. Yeah, there is a, a Reverend Mother just lurking in the background. But it is, you're right. That is where we would expect Count Fenring to be in that moment. And how quiet it was. I actually wrote that down, how quiet it was. I was like, oh, this is perfectly like encapsulating what it's like to be the emperor of the known universe, right? Just everything in its place. Yeah, it's very zen. And the the uh, the outside bit was filmed in a zen garden in Budapest as well. So they're very much going for that sort of quiet, meditative, uh, zen-like quality in the uh, Kaitain in, uh, palace, by the look of it. I think Erlon is the one that's going to, kind of be like father you need to go to arrakis something is going on like when she's talking about getting an assassin and it's just great seeing her have more present because i always joke that erlon is just shows up at the end and like she's just a puppet but now we first of all she has a hundred more lines than she did in the 84 movie (laughs) (laughs) so and even in the book like in the book, I don't even think she says anything. I think she just stands there. But it's great seeing her. And I love that Florence will go the extra distance. And I, I love her as an actress. So I'm beyond happy to see her in the Duneverse. And it's just great to see, okay, the Emperor's getting old. He needs to pass his bloodline down. And maybe the goal was, well, Erlon is the next you know, in line. And also Florence said most of her scenes were done with Christopher Walken and Charlotte Rampling. So that's interesting that she's going to have a lot of stuff with Guy Mahayim. And I don't think that's her, Mark. I think that's another just Benny Gesserit there. There's a, I don't remember it's if it's the, the one with Florence, like the little making of, where there's one um, clip where she's like, you know, you've been trained all your life for this. Are you ready? So I don't know if it's trailer trickery or the Reverend Mother talking to Erlon and being like, are you sure you want to do this? Is this what you want to do? So who knows? It gets me even more excited because I've read the book so many times. I've listened to the audio book just randomly around the house. But it's just... So Denis is changing the story for us but yet giving us the same story and that's why i love that denis and you know everyone that's worked on the script is going to surprise even longtime fans with stuff like that like what is erlon's role now so get on like in denis we trust i say it all the time <laughs> yeah mark you touched on the the princess of doom that that the, the three of us had, had discussed in uh, in one of the uh, one of the previous episodes so th- that's that's a more recent expanded novel but like uh, w- when i saw the, these uh, conversations with 
uh, Emperor Saddam and and, uh, and Irlan, it did remind me of, of that book because although you know Irlan she she is undervalued uh, overall, but the, the, there are certain scenes where the emperor does ask her about whether her thoughts are, are on this uh, topic or, or other, and it's a question about whether he actually listens uh, to her or not. But it's it's interesting because we we did see that that interaction, so it feels that they were they were uh, uh, building that up in a way because yeah, to to be like when you look at the original Dune novel, like it doesn't focus as much on a lot of these characters. I mean, like they're, 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 they're present, but we, it's basically like looking at the overall story and, and the themes, uh, but then these expanded novels, they're, they're going back and filling in more information about the, these characters. So I'm wondering if, um, you know, when, when the Princess of the novels was written, that they already had some insights into how she was going to be portrayed in the movie. Yeah. I actually, I wonder if, if how much input they got, um, from from Brian and, and KJA, but uh, like I know, I mean, I assume they would review the scripts, but you know, I I don't actually know how involved they were on on set. So yeah, that's interesting. I mean, for me, like you're right, like the story, you know, the novel is its own point of view, and the great thing about film adaptations uh, of any kind is that it allows you to switch the point of view a little bit, add in a little bit more detail. Um, and I think it's funny that we are having this discussion when I just read an article where it was critiquing Dune Part 1, saying that it was too close to the original. You know, how can it be too close to the original if we're if we're expanding other roles and giving you different points of view? And I mean, you, you know, we haven't even touched on like the Benny Gesserit motivation of, of Part 2. You know, we know that there's opportunity for so many different layers. Um so yeah, even even outside of the actual storytelling in the film, like the production of the film itself, there's different layers and points of view. So yeah, I, I have no, I mean, I know that there's going to be a spinoff show. Maybe they're trying to keep things consistent. Yeah, the, the spinoff shows like 10,000 years before, apparently. So yeah, I, I think they've got a bit of leeway yeah. <laughs> and motivation. So. Yeah, they don't have to like explain everything like, to the T, but they may, you know, if they, if they want to portray Kaitane in a certain way, then hopefully, you know, they would stick stand with that. And honestly, if we got just a copy and paste of the novel, sure, we would be happy. But the twists and turns are are what makes this show. Like, yeah, or else we would just be like, great. In chapter twenty seven, mm-hmm. Paul will be saying like the Chani stuff. Also, I'm really excited to see where Chani stands with Paul and like when she's saying like this it sounds like she has she loves Paul Atreides but she doesn't love what Paul stands for that's something also interesting it's not just like oh Paul I love you so much you're the greatest thing ever you know and that's the complex I I'm gonna love seeing on the big screen and being like oh they went there they changed it Sure, we'll get hopefully the same outcome of some key events, but it's how do we change it? How do we evolve the story? You know, storytelling is always evolving. Like all the urban legends that people always told over time weren't always the same. You twist it, you turn it a little bit to get people interested. Because diehard fans, like I said, if it was a copy and paste, sure, we would be beyond happy. But after a while, we would be like, cool, I read yeah. this a million times before. What makes this different? And I love that the whole entire scene with Christopher Walken 
with Erewhon were just like, where is this going? Like, show me more of that scene. Also, I'm happy that Christopher Walken got a chance to say Salakas. <laughs> and he wasn't too Christopher Walken also on yeah, that scene. I wanted to point that out, Simon. <laughs> I'm a little worried because I'm a, I'm a big Christopher Walken fan on Saturday Night Live. Some of my favorite moments are more cowbell and some of his other <laughs> works. But to, to have him be on screen and, and kind of the robe he's in and the way, the way he's done, his, they've done his hair. I mean, I, I just loved his delivery. I loved the tone of his voice. And I was like, that is quietly, sinisterly evil, but it didn't feel like more cowbell. Right. So I was really relieved about that because he is a, I mean, he's a Hollywood institution. Like he's, he's, he's a part of Hollywood history. So for him to, to really come across as something we were familiar with, I think would have done a real disservice to to the story and to Shaddam, but I, I really liked that, that delivery and, and just the feeling around him and his interaction with, with Irulan. So, so I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be surprised by that. Right. He's, he's an incredible actor. Uh, he's been around long enough to know exactly how to play a character appropriately and, and really nail it. Um, but sometimes those experiences and the the legends that we have in our minds of some of these actors kind of carries over and can shadow, you know, the, the character they're playing. But I didn't feel any of that with this and I was glad. It's funny that you mentioned the Saturday Night Wife and because something that me and my wife loved was when he introduced the Foo Fighters several years ago when he was like, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, the Foo Fighters. <laughs> and that's like, I've said this since he's been cast. I've been afraid that he's going to be Paul Atreides, like, <laughs> who is this Muad'Dib? So, but seeing calm down Christopher Walken, like, it's Deer Hunter Christopher Walken, but he's more <laughs> yeah. calm. He's like, maybe they, maybe they give him some drugs, like, here, take some, take some pills to relax, Chris. And also, uh, one last thing I love in the Jimmy Kimball interview, when they were talking about him and Florence was like, he kept asking people what their favorite donuts was. <laughs> like, it's such a weird Christopher Walken thing. Like, I want a making of just talking about Christopher Walken. And, and Austin casually dropped a very good uh, Oh, it was Walken dead impression. on. Did I, did I do it? And he goes, you got to do it. He goes, <laughs> I said, just read the cue cards. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know. Just being like, oh, you know, I'm a good actor. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I was just going to say, for, so for part one, we had a cover of Pink Floyd's Eclipse uh, for the trailer. So you weren't wanting a, a cover of Blue Oyster Cult's Don't Fear the Reaper for yeah. doing part two. <laughs> we were a bit more cowbell. I just had it in. Wow, uh, classic. And the, the Emperor, he, he, he maybe passes his prime, but as, as we were saying, he, he's definitely quite a menacing presence uh, still on the, on the screen. What, what, what do you guys think about the delivery of, of the line, your father was a weak man. He believed in the rules of the heart, but the heart is not meant to rule. Oh, that was an interesting line as well. I think it yeah. says a lot about the emperor himself. You know, like we've got a guy who's got all the power in the world and he's being, I mean, even the casting, as we just discussed, is a little bit of a subversion of expectations, right? Because he, we associate him now with more comedic roles. Um, 
but he's delivering something sinister. But he does also seem like a man past his prime. So when he says that, it's almost like, you know, that's how he sees the world. And he's very used to what he says being the truth, or at least made the truth because of the power that he has. So with um, Duke Leto, it's always, you know, Duke Leto, the noble, the just. And so even though he's got his propaganda core and stuff, he's always held up as this, um, you know, the honorable way of leadership. And, you know, all his, um, all, all the citizens love and admire him because of his fair rule. And we certainly get the sense that uh, the Padishah Impra is a complete opposite of that. He's uh, controlled by force, a nine glove. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it sets up the, uh, the relationship and the opposites between House Atreides and House Carino, I think. That line threw me off because I don't remember that line in the book. Does anyone else remember that line? Mm -hmm. No. You know, um, to play off of what you both were saying a minute ago, um, this really does re reveal a lot about Shaddam because remember the whole reason for, uh, moving the, the Atreides to Arrakis is because, uh, the Duke is a threat to the emperor. So, so it's interesting that what Shaddam is saying, he's criticizing and, and even, um, just diminishing, uh, Duke Leto's, uh, who he is as a person, because he was a, a, a honored, loved ruler, but that's the very thing that the emperor was afraid of because on some level, the emperor knows this Duke is a threat to my power, uh, as the emperor. So I've got to, I've got to eliminate him. So I'm going to do it in a veiled way that doesn't turn the whole, uh, you know, the whole universe against me. And so, so it really is a reflection of, of the emperor uh, by saying that comment and demeaning, uh, something that is a characteristic of Duke, Duke Leto that is revered and that we, we love about him and that his, his subjects loved about him. Um, so it's, it'll be interesting to see what other things emperor, the emperor says that is a flat out criticism but actually reveals what he's afraid of and what he has to be, uh, fighting against. And, and I'm sure he's gonna, it's gonna come out in the comments about Paul, you know, like some ridiculous, you know, prophet, uh, you know, just uh, amongst these, uh, these people that are, they're backward and the Fremen, you know, they, they aren't, they aren't, uh, evolved or whatever his, his angle would be with them. But ultimately, thank goodness, Irulan is saying, no, dad this is a real threat and you've got to make sure you watch out for this. Well, yeah. And, and assuming that Paul is just like his father and that Paul lived through what Shaddam did to his father and learned nothing and would just treat, you know, then you can say, oh, well, you will do the honorable thing. I'm going to bet that you will do the honorable thing because that's what your house stands for. And that's what your father did. And that's how I brought you down. And, yeah. you know, and Paul's not that person anymore. Yeah. You know, when, when Duke Lita was alive still, and not maybe the first hour, but as soon as, um, he knew he was like, and it goes back to one of the TV spots where you see Lady Jessica believe 
I mean, says your father didn't believe in a revenge. And Paul is like, no, I believe in a revenge. Like, I, I think the moment Paul realizes that Leto is dead, puts on the ring, he's like, F this, I'm taking them down. Like, my father meant the world to me. Something, I hate using this line, the sleeper has awakened. Like, it's, it's payback time. Like, I respect my father. I understand everything that he stood for. And Paul does. But also, there's part of him that's like, no, I'm on a mission now. And my mission is payback for everyone that's hurt my house. Because Paul, all Paul knew was pretty much his dad, Duncan and Gurney. So it's, he was raised like that. It's not like Paul Trades before the events of Dune could have just walked around and been like, doot, 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 doot. I'm Paul Trades. I'm just going to walk <laughs> around Caladan. No, people knew who he was. He was always protected. So I think Paul still believes in his dad, you know, still believes in everything that his dad stood for. But there's something that awoken. Maybe it's, you know, the quest that has her at that awoke at that moment. And that's what Paul is now. He's determined to everyone that messed his family up to go there and totally annihilate them. Well, I mean, we, he saw what playing by the rules got everyone, right? All these people he admired, these great fighters, these amazing people who were loved by their, you know, their people. Playing by the rules doesn't get you what you want. I'm, so, I'm just wondering if uh, another Leto might play into Paul's decision. Uh, hmm. or is, the, uh, when he screams Shawnee? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that has to be in the film. It is so crucial. And I feel like that's one of the surprises that they're keeping away for the non-book fans. Like, even if it's a see, um, something that lasts five, ten minutes out of a two-hour and 40-something-minute movie, I feel like it's so crucial to introduce that. Because then they has talked about uh, loss in mm -hmm. interviews in a, a very sort of vague way, but I think she's referring to uh, what we all think she's referring to. I mean, the blue headband also. Yeah, Which she's got it on her arm too in one of those. Yeah. Yeah. And in the in the book, it's it's green. And he, uh, Paul says that she's got green on her, her arm for mourning. Uh, so I think they've combined the the, the headscarf with the, with the armband. It's so crucial. And especially if they want to go further into the Dune universe. You know, even if Denis doesn't do child or something else, it is so important and it well, makes Paul who Paul is. Other, we have these other um, clips, right, that where Zendaya, well, Shawnee is talking and she's more reserved. She's more removed from it, right? It, like the, the contrast to the vengeance slot, like there's two different opposing, you know, clips. One is about vengeance and one is her saying like, we're equal. We're doing this for our planet, but that brings Chani into it in a personal way in a vengeance gig that I think is really important and necessary because what Paul does is terrible, right? He's putting everyone, the universe at risk. He doesn't care. He's going to burn it all down. And Chani can't be a voice of reason in that moment, right? Like she has to become a fanatic too. Of and you know, and she has to be on that vengeance quest. So yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a really important 
detail that should be in the film. And that, that will definitely be a, be a moment that potentially brings her over the over the edge. Yeah. And we we, we touched on that as well. I mean, this this just this conversation that uh, between um, um, the damper and and Irlan, it's like it's so much happening there because like they're they're talking in a in a, in a room and like uh, privately, but like that's. Uh, concerning events that are going to happen in, on Arrakis. So a, a lot is being decided there. Uh, but we, we mentioned earlier that uh, Count Fenring, he doesn't seem to be figuring in this, in this movie at all. So whether he's going to be a cameo or he's just going to be, you know, written out of, of the story completely because there's been the reaction, of course, in the community. People were saying, oh, well, that should be Count Fenring who's, who's advising the, the emperor, right? The, the, they grew up together and Count Fenring was, was one who actually advised the emperor and, and got him to, to uh, in, in that position. He's, uh, you know, killed uh, hundreds of people for, for, for the emperor. Uh, so, so they were saying, okay, like, are, is Irland take, taking that role? Like, uh, so with, with that in, uh, in mind, um, start with, with you, Mark. Do you think from that perspective, are there any concerns with the faithfulness of, um, of the themes of the book? Um, without seeing the film, it's hard to say, but um, I think it's just part of the adaptation. Um, you've got to keep the character count um, small and contained. So I think it was really smart to move Fade and Niralan and the Emperor into part two to not overload him into part one. And I think perhaps the Count Fenring has been sharded. Part of it, the advice is going to Niralan's role as the Emperor's daughter. And part of it is going to Lady Fenring for part of her political maneuvering. So it could just be that, that those traits have been divided among some of the female characters. It goes back to what I was saying. If we were just doing copy and paste from the book, we would know what would happen. But I think it's cool that Erewhon is kind of going to be a hybrid of both. Still, my question is, Tim Blake Nelson, who are you, man? Like, <laughs> INDB doesn't have any listing for you. And I remember, geez, maybe over a year ago, we did a whole entire episode. Like, he's been gas. He has to be Count Fenring. But what's important in the Fenring, I'm okay if you get rid of the Count. You mix it with Erewhon. Great. Develops. Erewhon even more, especially if we get to Messiah, and we will. Come on. You know it's going to be Grinlin, like the weekend after <laughs> part two comes out. Um, it's going to even improve her role, because or else he would just be like, when did Erewhon get so badass? Like, so it's like showing that she's always been there. Uh, what's important in the Fenring? You need to keep Lady Fenring in the movie more than the Count. That's all I got to say about that. So my thoughts on that, Marcus, is with any book as dense as, as the Dune novel, you're just going to have to make concessions. Uh, like Mark was saying, you're, you're going to have to, and I think, <clears throat> I think Villeneuve did a, a genius move with part one. <clears throat> he didn't introduce us to every name or uh, every faction or every, you know, character plot line he he really spoon fed the audience just enough because you know all of us super fans we're just going to love every minute of it right it but but to to make a blockbuster film that captures people who maybe aren't even big science, science fiction fans you've got to introduce them to this whole new universe that's that's very complex and and to some people is going to be really weird at first but he was very careful how he just 
gently introduced us and, and kept the theme of, of Paul uh, front and center to make sure that we were focused on him amidst all of this political backdrop. And, and so, you know, to me, the book is, is kind of like the biblical experience as it were. And, and I always go back to that because that was my first, uh, experience with this story, but what Vilnov is doing is creating a whole new visceral sensory experience. And it's just not going to be able to contain everything. It's not going to have, I think you were saying this Rachel earlier. It's like, there's so many layers to this. If you tried to put that in a film, it would make it too overwhelming. You would, you would just be losing people all the way along. And, and so what's, what's the genius of what Villeneuve is doing here is he's, he's giving us this experience in enough layers that most people can absorb it and process it. Um, and then the rest of us super fans, we can get on a podcast and go to the lower levels. <laughs> But I'm grateful that he's doing that, even though there's a part of me that's kind of like, oh man, I want, I want all the, the backdrop and the details and the complexity and the minutia. And I want all that, you know, because that's what I loved about the story. But you simply like, like for instance, the Benny Jesuit, there's so much that's not about, that's not contained in part one about the Benny Jesuit, right? There's just so much. It's a vast, thank goodness they're going to do a, a TV series because you've got, you can plumb the depths of that forever. It just goes on and on, but to be careful about just giving enough to the audience in part one, and then we'll see in part two, um, is, is a service to the audience. It's, it's enabling people who maybe you're never going to read the book to be able to feel the experience. And in the case I was giving, like, feel some of those things about the Benny Jesser and what they're about, even though you don't know the detail but you can kind of sense who they are and, and get a, get a high level introduction to kind of who, who these, these women are. I had a friend many years ago when Lord of the Rings came out, I was like, man, did you go see Lord of the Rings? He's like, I tried watching it, but he's like, so-and-so is related to so-and-so and, and this and this and that. And that gets some average movie fans. And this, this guy loved movies. Like I trust him completely in movie taste. He introduced to me to a bunch of my favorite movies now, but sometimes it's overwhelming. So adding a count centering, it would be another character. Like you guys were saying that sure. As book fans, count Fenring, Awesome. Good to see you, buddy. Um, sorry, the quiz that I had for that program didn't work out for you. I know, but it's, it's just another layer that people don't want. And you're right. Like in part one, we're introduced to House Atreides, House Harkonnen. We know a little bit about the Bene Gesserit. We hear about the emperor, but it's very grounded to these two houses. They could have said house could, you know, at one point they could mention other stuff, but they kept it very grounded. These are our two main houses. These are our two main characters. If you want to say, and Denis was really smart on that because even like as much as we would love to see the space and go and the navigators, once again, that might've been too much for the average person being too like, weird. Hey, Which I, I weird. give, give me the Dune weirdness. I want it, <laughs> but also I'm afraid it's going to 
like people that are going to go see it opening weekend that are just fans of movies are going to be like, hey, man, who are these like wish weird fish people? I don't know about this. It's kind of weird. And some people might be like, oh, sign me up. And some people might be like, eh, I'm good. I'm good. I, I, I don't need to go back and see that. But it's, that's what I tell myself, because like I'm a Hazmir super fan. I love Fenring. Like him not being in it hurts me deeply in my soul. But you're right. His character is about a really specific thing that hasn't even been introduced to us yet. Right. We don't have that level from the Benny Gesserit. And if we're going to sacrifice the character to expand on these other more necessary female characters, then he should be the one sacrificed. Right. Like, I, and I'm fine with that. It's sad for me because I just want to see him wear a dumb hat and walk around mm-hmm. in the background and like, you know, plot and theme well, and do all those things. <laughs> you can watch the 2000 mini series. Oh, yeah. His hats and that are oh, so good. <laughs> but, so Stephen, you're talking about, um, you know, talking fishes and stuff. So you're saying that moviegoers won't want to go see a film with Jason yeah, Miller and talking fishes in it? Um, talking fishes. <laughs> hey, my goal is for part two. Major spoiler here, people, if you haven't read Messiah, is we get the end credits of part two, and then we just get a shot of Momoa's eyes opening silver, <laughs> fake to black. Just, just the fake. You know, actually, that's that that makes me feel like, you know, we, we're talking about how, like, why we're getting the points of view and why we're getting the expanded characters that we're getting and, you know, all that framing. It almost seems as if, and I know that it hasn't been greenlit yet, but it always seems as if the specter of Dune Messiah has been with us since the very beginning. Like every setup that Denis is doing is about, I guess, spoon feeding the audience that this this knowledge about Paul as a character. Because if you've only ever watched, you know, Dune Part One or Dune, just you know, the regular adaptation, it's a hero's journey, right? And that that the devastation of like the hero's failure um for me is really important it was what has made me love dune so much so i love that the specter that like dune messiah even if it doesn't get made is in these two you know part one and part two it's there for us because that's the focus of this of this story is paul's journey paul's ultimate you know sacrifice slash failure slash you know whatever you want to call it, but the, it's not about the guild and the Bene Gesserit and the, you know, the, the breeding program and, and all of that. It's really trying to give us that arrow towards, you know, that, that one Frank Herbert idea about charismatic leaders. I mean, something we haven't Foster. even mentioned, if, if you're listening to the audible, I mean, auto, if you're listening just to the plain auto mobile podcast you can't see it but rachel's shirt is also very important in the <laughs> universe and not not but, in the movie really so n- not even fun. mentioned the chum <laughs> company you know that's another layer on top of a bunch of layers that as fans of the book i get your shirt the average dune fan no offense people that's just seen the 84 movie in part one eventually part, part two would be like i don't I don't get it. I don't get what that has to do with Dune. Is that like someone's nickname or the T Fury <laughs> shirt? Like, I don't get it. It's, really it's an acronym, cool. Simon. It's a really easy to remember acronym. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
but no, but that's what that's what makes it great for book fans. Like I, there's some characters I wish we had more of. Like I wish we had more Duncan in part one. You know, I wish we had a little bit more Gurney in part one. Also, I would have loved to have drunk Duncan, and I know that was shot, but drunk maybe eventually spice coffee. <laughs> exactly. You know, every time they make coffee when they run away with Duncan and they're like spitting my wife, this is so disgusting. I'm like, it's the freshest coffee you'll ever have. <laughs> but it's important. And sorry that we lose Count Fennering, but we evolve Erlon in the process. And like I said, Din is going to be greenlit. And when yeah. she's in there, you're going to be like, oh, she's badass. If we just had quiet Erlon and we just see like a couple shots of, you would have been like, how did she get that way? She's always been that way. Yeah. Ultimately, Erlon being fleshed out, being given more to do and, and having that for us so that we understand her more later is way more important than having Hasbir, you know, lurking around, uh, even if he's my favorite and I love him. <laughs> Just, I want to take us down a little uh, sidebar just for a second. So Villeneuve has said uh, a few different times that he was highly influenced by the Star Wars movies. Um, I, I'm, I'm the oldest guy on this in this group, and he's about five or six years older than me. So I remember growing up in that time, and Star Wars just almost defined our childhoods. It was so, it just permeated our culture. It was so huge. Well, his very favorite Star Wars film is Empire Strikes Back. Right? So if you think about what is that film, so it's my favorite too, but think about what happens in Empire, right? It's counter to what you expect in this hero's journey or what the audience, I think, did expect. Um, there's a lot of surprises. It's, it's against the flow of, I think, what maybe we thought was going to happen after watching episode, uh, or I mean, A New Hope the first Star Wars film. So if, if that's what he loves so much, and that was highly influential on him, I'm with Simon on this. I, I just don't see a scenario where we won't have Messiah because I think it's really important to Denis that this arc is completed so that the audience truly understands. Like Rachel was saying, Frank Herbert had a really important message for the world here. And it, so far, they don't know what it is because they're just seeing, you know, part one. They're going to see vengeance. Yay! <laughs> but I, Destruction. I, agree, I, I agree with you, Rachel. I think there are all these little Easter eggs along the way in part one, at least. And, and I believe it's going to happen in part two that is going to really point to what happens in Messiah. And it's a really important evolution of this character. And that contains the message of these books, at least the first three anyway, so or the first two anyway. So um, I, I'm grateful that, that Villeneuve is putting those in there. I, I wondered if he was going to omit those just to keep the, 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 the hero's journey arc going, but that would, be, that would run against what, what Frank Herbert was trying to say. And, and I'm glad he's honoring that and capturing that really important message of beware of leaders, beware of all powerful, uh, personalities. And, and I just think it's a, a really exciting thing to see him weave that into this story that we're following in a very exciting visual way. 
I was just going to say that, like, Christopher Walken's interpretation so far that we've seen of the Emperor has been very even-keeled, very soft-spoken, even if he's a little bit sinister. And we can contrast that with uh, Timothy's deliveries, where he sometimes snaps, sometimes yells, sometimes loses his temper. Um, so that, I think, you know, the echo of, like, these two kind of maybe problematic men orbiting each other, and those, that's it. Those are our two choices. Uh, is there, right? It's there for us to see even in the trailers. Something I, I didn't even think about right now is I can't wait to see Christopher Walken, Hollywood legend, like we said, you know, beyond like Hall of Fame actor. And Timothy, who's becoming one of those actors, you know, sure, it started with Call Me By Your Name, but over time, just seeing him grow and becoming not just Paul Trades for us, but being a solid actor, let's face it. So it'll be really interesting to see those scenes with those two actors, one quiet. And by that time, Paul will be, you know, full on Muadid mode and just yelling. And also, it's funny that this comes out in election year. I just thought about <laughs> this. I mean, Mark, I don't, I don't know when you guys are voting, but... Maybe, you know, the home release of Dune will come out a little bit before November and more people will watch it. Maybe it was all planned. Plans within plans within plans, Simon. I'm telling you, it's a conspiracy by the government. Exactly. Wait wait a minute, you're saying June's political. Well, mind blown. (laughs) Well, it's like going off topic just for a second when people are like, well, I looked at Star Wars prequels. They were too political. Star Wars Echo has always been political first time we see leia she's on a, like a mission to deliver plans and all that anyway she's on a diplomatic mission for alderon is that one of Irulan's dresses looks very similar to one of padme's dresses oh, i noticed that the packing gown from attack of the clones almost you know very similar so you know Dune is obviously Star Wars DNA, but I like to see it get meta and come back around. Hey, I've said a million times, one of my favorite Dune memes is you see a bunch of golf kids and it says Dune is Star Wars for golf kids. And it is. It is. (laughs) Recovering golf kid right here. (laughs) (laughs) It works. Hey, the 2000s emo and golf, it was a sin. Still is coming back yeah yeah so just just so so much coming out of like a bunch of 30 second clips that were were shown on on tv and uh, and put up on youtube um i'm sure we, we could uh you know expand on every little detail for uh, for long longer time uh but for now we we've covered a lot about uh, fade and Irlon, and i think there's still some more we'll get into in future episodes uh but before we end for today if Everybody can take one um, highlight in general that that they found from from all these these clips, and um, what what stood out to you uh, most. Um, so yeah, l- like let's start with uh, with Simon and then go 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 through from uh, left to right. Thanks, Marcus. I was still thinking about my clip. Um, <laughs> I think it's just face Austin slash face performance of delivering that and made my knife shatter too like we said it's kind of him mocking paul and 
being even more cocky and arrogant and just seeing the fighting scene. But then I go back, I'm like, all oh, the stuff with Erlon, all of it, all of it's pretty amazing to me. But I think that line of fate performing that line, just being like, dude, I got you. You're not going any, I'm, I'm taking you down little Atreides boy. Yeah. So, so me, I think the, uh, Irland's line of, uh, you know, she's been training for this all her life, um, uh, because you know, we're, we're not quite sure what they're being referred to, but it, it's clearly, you know, is it, um, her, her future uh, with Paul? Is it, is it something else? Is it some political stuff? So there's a, there's a lot of ways that could go, but it, it carries a lot of weight in the, in the trailers. I think, I think my favorite, uh, shot of all these is is that we hear fade speaking words and and even though at first i thought it was kind of a christian bale batman kind of a thing i i i like now that i understand it's it's really mimicking uh the baron but i i like that additional um piece uh that that fleshes out his character because for so long we just saw these these frightening images and then we heard nothing out of his mouth. So, so that was something that I was really pleased to see. And, and I, and I like it. I like that there's some consistency. I think you said that Marcus, um, that, that this would have been the Barons would have been highly influential, uh, in Faye's life. He, he would have even wanted to <clears throat> probably, um, mimic his, his uncle in many ways. So, um, I really, I really like that. For me, the my favorite scenes clips were obviously Irulan and Shaddam talking. That was more than I thought that we would get at this stage. I thought we would just kind of get flashes. Florence Pugh, she's going to be in this movie, kind of thing. Um, but I should have known if they're going to send her out on on night, you know, talk shows that she'd get a clip to sh to share. Uh, so that's really exciting for me. And also um, consistently what we've seen in every single clip since the sort of beginning of the teaser trailers has been the breaking of the shield wall. Um, they keep flashing to it. They keep showing uh, the worms kind of approaching and just how epically scary that's going to be in IMAX. I cannot wait. <laughs> yeah, for, for me, one of the things that really stood out to me is some of those shots we, we, we get of, of Paul in, in that final scene in, in, in the throne room, like either like him standing with, with, with his knife or like a close up of him, like shouting, like uh, with, with a commanding voice. And like when you think back during part one, you, you have this basically the, this this teenager who's he's been living a privileged life and, you know, he's never had to deal with all these sort of struggles or conflicts. And then he's shipped away to, to Rakus and then his family gets uh, gets destroyed and he's he's all alone. And then there's all this like epic action going on. You know, we're going to see the sandworms. We're going to see huge battles. But everything comes down to that that final scene in, inside that uh, the, the emperor's uh, tent inside the throne room area. And like it's just what what one guy holding a, a Chris knife and uh, with with the power of the voice, and he's going basically going to bring the Imperium down to its knees. So like re really excited to see that whole whole sequence play out. I I agree with you, Marcus. And let's not forget the first time we ever see Paul in the film is in his bed. And he looks so little like, sure, Tim Tim is not a big guy, but seeing the evolution of Paul from that first opening shot, that that's our first glimpse to this world, to what we see in the throne room now. It's like two different people. It goes back to that line with Duncan. Have you been putting muscles on? And guess what? He has. He has been putting muscles on. I mean, 
that's that's just amazing storytelling also and i'm sure timothy worked out and all that but love it <laughs> uh simon dowdy here you can find me on all the socials at s dowdy uh dune 2 is finally around the corner i can't believe i'm saying that uh less than a month away i'm super excited i'm gonna get some dune love baseball's coming back it's just a great time for me you can find me on Instagram at Darth underscore Rachel, where you can watch me build a bunch of different costumes or maybe even these Legos. Um, and I am also the host of Buck Keep Radio, which is a podcast where we read through all of Robin Hobbs' Realm of the Elderlings novel. Uh, Mark from Dune Info here. Uh, you can follow me on all the socials. It's been great to talk for well over an hour on just two characters from TV spots. So uh, heaven help us when we actually get the full movie. <laughs> we can talk about everything uh but yeah looking forward to to chatting with you all uh in the future hey it's garen uh just thanks to everyone uh, on the on the podcast today <clears throat> uh rachel loved your your input uh mark you always have incredible insights and simon so so glad to be back with you i just really enjoy how marcus uh, leads us down these avenues of exploration and and opinions about about this story that just seems to never end. So thanks to everyone. This was uh, Marcus. You can find me at Marcus is writing. And yeah, there's a lot more to come from uh, Dune Newsnet in the, in the coming uh, weeks as we lead off the movie. So uh, stay tuned for more. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops. Stay tuned to DuneNewsNet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.